on holy ground and i know that there are angels all around we will praise jesus now we are standing in your presence on holy ground let's just stand and sing that together we are standing on holy ground and i know that there are angels all around we will praise jesus now we are standing in your presence we are standing in your presence we are standing in your presence on holy ground. Lord, we stand in your presence and we ask you to open up your heart to us today. We, uh, help us, Lord, to receive what you want to say. And, and uh, we just pray your kingdom come, your will be done. We just give you this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've been, uh, I've been titling several sermons in a row, Priority One, and then something after it. Uh, like Priority One, Finding God, Find God. Priority One, Forgiven. Priority One, Worship. Nobody's come up to me and said, wait a minute. How can it be everything be first priority if they're different things? Nobody's asked the question. Good question, Pastor Jack. You see, the church has a mission. The church has a mission. And every church has a mission to help people find God, to help people find freedom. And we find freedom through, through the recognition that most importantly, above everything else that God has done for us, He's forgiven us. We find freedom... Um, in worship, when we, we refuse to stop one praise short of having a breakthrough, we, we find freedom uh, in relationship to one another, which is what I'm going to talk about today. We also, a part of our mission includes finding, discovering our purpose and, and growing and in, in in using our gifts and talents for the kingdom. And, and then also, uh, our, our, our mission is to launch out outside the, the boundaries of our church and help other people find God. But today, I want to talk about planted in the orchard of God, the church of Jesus Christ. Um, the church was Jesus' idea. It was his idea. He, he said in Matthew 18 that it only where, where two or three gather together in my name, I'll be there in the midst of them. Hebrews 10.25 says not, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching, the day that's, going to, that's approaching is the day Jesus comes back to receive his church. 
He returns for his church. The Bible calls his church his bride. He loves his church. He loves his body. He's never been impatient with his church. And when I talk to you about the church this morning, I'm not hoping that you'll fall in love with the church. I'm hoping you'll fall in love with the groom of the church. And in so falling in love with the groom, you'll love his bride. You ever been to a wedding where you knew one of the people being married? You knew them really well. You didn't know the person they were marrying much at all. But by the end of the wedding day, you thought, wow, what a great couple. What a great couple. And if you love Jesus Christ, you've got to understand that he's part of a couple, if you will. If I can use his illustration of the church being his bride. He's, he's, a, he's, he's the groom of a, of a bride that he loves deeply. And he says of the church that the gates of hell will not prevail against it in Matthew chapter 16. He said the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. Now, we often use that verse like it's a defensive kind of thing, like, like Satan's really attacking me, and I hope, we prevail, I hope I prevail. I know I'm going to prevail. I'm going to make it to the end when, when I die and go to heaven. At least I'm going to barely, I'm going to get by. You know, like it's a defensive thing. You know what? Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Have you ever seen gates marching forward? Gates don't move. I mean, they open and close, but they don't. They're, they're, they're locked in place. Those doors to this room are, are put on hinges. They open and close, but they don't move forward and backwards. And the gates of hell don't move forward and backwards. We move forward against them. When he said the gates of hell will not prevail against his church, he was talking about the church being on the offensive. He was talking about when we're leaning into our mission. Here's a picture of gates, I think. There's a picture of city gates. Those gates don't move. You can go through them, but they don't. Those gates were put there to, to protect the city. And the gates of hell will not withstand the forward movement of the church of Jesus Christ. They will not prevail. When we lean into our mission, when we're reaching out beyond our borders, of course, when we're, we're you know, can be sending a mission team, it can be outreach to, to the community, or to New York City, it can be people pulling together, encouraging one another, praying for one another, praying for your neighbors, praying for your family, praying for your community, praying for your nation. The gates of hell will not prevail as we persevere and move forward. It's, it's on the offensive. And there are 59 one another's in the New Testament. 59 times the Bible says, uses the term, the, the, the term one another in the New Testament. And, you know, the letters, all the epistles were written to the church, to the church of Rome, the church in Colossae, the church in Thessalonica, the church in Ephesus, the church in Corinth. It was written to the church. And there's all these one another's in there. You can't do those one another's without being knit together. You just can't do it. Some of those one another, there's, there's about 15 of those 59 one another's are love one another. Talking to the church, love one another. About five of them are encourage one another. So love one another's the biggest, encourage one another's the next biggest. And then there's a lot of other ones, like be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. Live in harmony with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. 
Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Instruct one another. Greet one another. Wait for one another. Have equal concern for one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Okay. If you keep biting and devouring one another, you'll be destroyed by one another. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying one another. Carry each other's burdens. Be patient, bearing with one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive one another. Submit to one another in reverence for Christ. Consider others better than yourself. Do not lie to one another. Bear with one another. Shall I keep going? Teach one another. Admonish one another. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Do not slander one another. Don't grumble against each other. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another. And then a whole bunch more love one another. When... When the men gather together on Tuesday morning just to, uh, just to look into the Word and pray for one another, the gates of hell shall not prevail against what the enemy wants to do in their life. When Val and Coley host couples at their home to strengthen marriages, the gates of hell will not prevail as those couples give themselves to the Lord. When people gather in homes, community centers... Um, the nation to nation students upstairs on Monday nights getting into the word to prepare for leadership. The gates of hell will not prevail against them moving forward as long as they stay moving forward. When families pull together, provide meals for one another in hard times or praying together, uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against the ones the enemy wants to destroy. He will not prevail. Your life flourishes when you're cemented in a church. Psalm 92 from the New Living Translation says this, The godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon, for they're transplanted to the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of our God. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit. Somebody said, Amen. They will remain vital and green. They will declare. They will encourage one another with these words. They're going to encourage one another with these words. When, When things don't look like they're going so well, they're going to encourage one another. They will declare, the Lord is just. He's my rock. There is no evil in him. Churches aren't perfect. If you find one that is, don't go to it or you'll ruin it. Um, never been one perfect yet. But it's the best thing on earth. Noah's Ark stunk like crazy. All that poop on there. Can you say poop in church? I don't know. But that was all that poop on that boat. It stunk. But you know what? The alternative was not so good. If you weren't on the ark, you were in trouble. The church is like the ark. It isn't perfect. But I'll tell you what. The alternative stinks. And God loves his church. Yeah, I mean, some people say, oh, the church is full of hypocrites. I, 
I hear that. God hates hypocrisy. He hates people that are pretending. Pretending to live one way and live in another in secret. You know, he, ha- he hates hypocrisy, but he loves imperfect people. The church is not uh, something we attend. The church is who we are. We're people that he loves, that he's, that he's, he's drawing forward. He's pouring out his grace to help us grow. It's who we are. I brought to church today a hibiscus plant. And um, it's when we got it, I, I tried to bring a pot that would kind of symbolize with a small. This, this pot is bigger than the one we bought it in. Um, but anyway, I wanted to get you, I wanted to, you to compare two size pots. We, we had it in a, we bought it in a smaller pot. And it grew to a point where eventually it just... Now, when it flowers, by the way, and I'm partially bummed that it's not flowering right now because it puts out these incredible large orange flowers. But actually, the fact that it's not flowering will help me illustrate what I want to say. But anyway, it got to a point where the the hibiscus wasn't doing so well. It, It stopped flowering. It stopped really growing. And it's because the roots were bound in this small plant in the small pot and so I took it and I, I put some good soil in a bigger plant I gave the roots room to 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 go deeper and to to stretch out and the, the plant took off again and it's actually been flowering quite amazingly lately until now but you know what about hibiscus plants uh, there's a, several species of hibiscus and hibiscus plants do not fulfill their destiny in a pot. In, in, uh, when we were in Hawaii once, we saw like rows, streets lined with hibiscus. Like, like uh, when you line a street with bushes or shrubs, you line your property with shrubs. We see properties and streets lined with hibiscus just like as deep as that stage back there driving down the street and you'd see them their, their, their roots and their branches are all tied together, uh, arm in arm, locking together thousands of huge flowers, all colors, yellow, orange, red, gorgeous, just lines of them all together. They're made to thrive in, in a collection of hibiscus plants, if you will. They're made to thrive when they're They're all together. And when they're knotted together like that, no storm hitting the Hawaiian Islands is going to harm them. They're not going to get pulled out by the roots. Their roots are all tangled together. Their branches are tangled together. They're going to be just fine no matter what storm hits. And I don't care what storm hits you. When you're you're arm in arm and locked together with, with a church family, the storms of hell are not going to take you down. But... You're not made to live in a pot by yourself. You weren't created that way. And uh, just like that plant, it also reminds me of, of uh, sequoia plants, the, the big trees, the big giant trees. There's one. Um, there's one. And uh, they say those can get, I mean, they go, grow between 150 and 300 feet tall. And their roots are only... Ten feet deep. 
Their bark is really tough. It resists forest fires, don't bother the, their bark. Their seeds, in fact, need fire in order to, to weaken the, the shell around it so that the seeds can take root and start new trees. Uh, they need that fire. But the way they survive is like, because they, here's another picture of several. They, they, they survive in groves because their roots all network together. They're shallow little roots. These 250, 300 feet trees, their roots are all tangled together and they hold each other together. Redwoods, those big giant redwoods, their, their roots only go five or six feet deep. How do they stand? How do they survive? By having their roots down deep. You see, soil and roots are key to a plant's survival, to a tree's survival, to a Christian's survival. The soil you plant your roots in has to be good soil. The roots need to be tangled with other believers. They need to be, they need to be knit together. Believers rooted in a church are like large trees. We aren't strong because we're famous on how we, or how we look good on the outside. We're not strong because we've got a lot of money and a lot of wealth. We're strong because we're rooted in the right things, in the right soil. So how do you get rooted in a church? How do you get rooted? We're stronger when our roots go deep and tangle with other people's. Number one, we've got to trust God to start letting people into our life and reach into the lives of others. We're not wired to be independent. We weren't created for it. We, are, we won't reach our destiny without being connected to people. You can know a lot about someone and not really know them. You can know a lot of information about them and you not really know their heart, what makes them tick, what their, what their passions are, what their loves are. It's ironic, I'm talking about church and the importance of church and today's the day when so many people are out traveling. Don't be discouraged by that. God's, God's got something to say to us today. Generations have changed a lot. Uh, technology's changed a lot in my lifetime. Amen? Lifestyles have changed. Just take uh, the area of entertainment, for instance. My parents' age, everybody, if you wanted to play, you played outside. All of my, I have a ton of aunts and uncles. I have, I have so, I had such a huge family network. It was amazing. And um, my uncles, I grew up, and all my uncles were like professional horseshoe players. I'm like, you guys are killing me. All of my, my old uncles could just kill me in horseshoes. I would work and work and work at it. Well, why? Because they grew up. And if they weren't working on the farm, they were throwing horseshoes. That's what they did together. And they were really good. I mean, they had it down to a science. They'd toss those things and... They, they had it exact to where it would open up at three-quarters of a turn and be coming right into the stake, open. Every one of my uncles could do that. Just, just let them go fly. So all, they were always coming in, shoe open, headed for the stake. Flat. You guys are just driving me crazy. But the point is, they all played outside all the time. Now, when I was a kid, TV was invented. And it started to change. We still played outside a lot. We... Uh, there was always a baseball mitt on my bike. 
and you never knew what, who you were going to run into, and we'd start throwing, throwing baseballs, we'd pitch some. But we watched we, when TV came. I remember when we got our first TV, black and white, and then when the first color TV came into our living room, I thought we'd gone to heaven. I thought we'd gone to heaven. A big old tube TV sitting there, and, and, um, and so, you know, we had to watch all the big hits, you know, Andy Griffith and all that stuff. We, and we'd be glued to certain shows. Certain nights, we were just on the TV. And we still played outside, but it started to transition. Now we have the digital age. And that's not all a bad thing. Digital, is a, is, it's an amazing thing, the digital age. And it's, uh, it's here to stay, right? It's not going away. But, and, and we need to use it. We need to use it well, but we need to manage it, and we need to make sure we don't lose this thing called connecting to people and relating to people, or else we're going to wilt. We're going to be like a hibiscus plant that's totally out of its element, that's not reaching its destiny. It's not out in the hot tropics and the sun where it belongs. If we, don't, if we aren't connecting and getting arm-in-arm arm with people in our daily lives, we're going to wilt. And and so the, the digital age is okay, but just try staying off your phone for 20 minutes after the service and see if you can make it, okay? Connect with some people you don't know, some people different than you. you and, and hey, you, you, you're a married couple and you, you got a house? Invite somebody to, invite a, a single person to your house. They might actually love it. Single people, you got to play. Invite a married couple to your house. To try that. That would be cool. Hang out for lunch with somebody. And uh, enjoy your friends, but stretch out beyond that. We're not made to be in a little pot. I'm, uh, I'm concerned about the digital age. I love it. I love the digital possibilities. I love what it does for us. But I'm concerned also the, the downside is that, that we have generations that are losing their ability to relate. We had a young... Um, woman from Japan come here to church a couple years ago for an entire school year. She was a college student. And uh, week after week, after church was over, she'd be waiting for the people that brought her to take her home, and she'd be sitting here all by herself, sitting by herself. Nobody would come talk to her. I'd talk to some of the young people about, hey, connect her. She's a beautiful young lady. And like a month before she left, they start getting to know her and say, oh, I thought we wish we'd have gotten to know her earlier. She's such a great person. I'm like, yeah. When I would talk to people about talking to them, well, we don't know what we'd say. He's from Japan. I'm like, look, use your digital phone, go on the internet, and find out some good icebreaker questions, whatever you got to do. Listen, I know what it is to be a loner. I was one of the most self-centered people I can, I've ever known. And um, I, literally, I, I literally had to learn how to break open conversations with people. Whatever we got to do, we've got to break out of our comfort zones or we're going to wilt relationally. Just applying to anybody here today. We went to, uh, in June, we were down visiting my niece and her family in Savannah, Georgia, and they took us to their church, which, by the way, rents a movie theater. I thought that was pretty cool. It was almost all young people under 40. We were, the, we were looking around at each other like, 
I think we're the only gray-haired people in here. And other than the people that my niece and her husband introduced us to, nobody said hello. We were there early and stayed late. Nobody said hello. And this is Georgia, supposed to be friendly in the South. Nobody said hello. Don't know what we'd say to them. Gray-haired people. Oh, they're so scary. Come on. That's crazy. Emails, texts, instant messages, social media. It actually can, can cause us to feel insecure and depressed because we're watching everybody else's highlight reels. They're just putting their highlights of their life online, and we're missing. And we don't feel like we compare. I don't compare to that. No, they don't compare to that either. That's just their highlight reel. Don't get depressed. Don't get insecure. Your life is just as important and valuable as anyone else. There's a quote I heard that I don't know who said it. I searched online to try to find where this came from, and it's all over the Internet, and I don't find any particular person that made it up, so who knows who first said it. But the quote is this. You only live once, so make sure you spend 15 hours a day online desperately seeking validation and comfort from strangers and people that you're barely acquainted with. Psalm 52 talks about people who were uprooted from the land of the living and where, uh, land of the living. There's, the land of the living is where people are. And these were people that they were uprooted from that. They were uprooted from the place where people are. They weren't trusting in the Lord. They weren't looking to the Lord for their strength. And, and then in verse 8 of Psalm 52, the writer says, But I, I'm, in other words, I'm going to be different. They were uprooted from the land of the living because they weren't, they weren't trusting in the Lord. They weren't connecting with other people. But I will be different. I am like an olive tree, thriving where? In the house of God. I will always trust in God's unfailing love. I will always trust in his unfailing I'm willing to get outside my comfort zone because of his unfailing love. And love isn't meant for us just to receive. Thank God for these times of worship we have that we're, we just sense his love so deeply. But, but love isn't just for us to receive. We've got we to give it out. We've got to be a channel of it. I will praise you forever, O God, for what you have done. I will trust in your good name. Where? In the presence of your faithful people. That's where. God doesn't call us to go to church, but to be the church. By the way, I want to commend you two. Mike and Michelle, they they, uh, lived here in Leroy, started here, come be a part of us, and... um, circumstances at the place they were living changed. They had to move out of the area, and they're driving a long way to get here because they feel this is their family. I appreciate that. Um, If you can keep doing it in the winter, that'll be amazing. (laughs) And we're going to pray right now in Jesus' name. The Lord will open a house for you right back here in this area. Lord, do it. You can get your roots tangled, the, the, your relational roots tangled in a lot of places. You can get it tangled with classmates in school. You can get tangled with coworkers. You can get tangled with people you meet at the gym, at the hairdressers. Love our hairdressers uh, here, but, but none of those, none of those places 
is the body of Jesus Christ. None of them are the bride of Christ. None of them are the strength. None of them are the presence of the people. None of them are the house of God. No sports team is the house of God. We've got to get our roots tangled with one another. So how do you get planted and rooted in a church? You've got to trust people to, to, to let people into your life and to get into others too by serving, using your time and abilities to minister and serve in various capacities. And third, by supporting a church with your finances. That can be a funny one for pastors to tackle. There's a balancing act. Um, you know, there's the criticism that uh, all, every pastor is afraid of. Oh, all those churches want is your money. Listen, that's, if I wanted your money, if I wanted money, I would never have gone into ministry. I would, I would never have done it. I would be already retired from the state with a nice state pension, living really well. What's that? <laughs> state pensions are okay. <laughs> Hallelujah for state pensions. I'm not knocking those that take it. I'm saying that's where I'd have stayed. I loved my job. Um, <laughs> I'm not a manipulator. Jesus talked about money more than he talked about prayer. And we can't say we trust Jesus if we don't trust him in this area of finances. We just can't. Because he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Or literally, the, the Greek word is, that's where your heart will follow. Where you put your treasure, your heart will follow. Um, we've lived this. Taney and I went through 20 years or so of financial... I don't know if you call it hell or purgatory, but it was close to one. Somewhere in the line between the two, it was in there. And I gave my heart to Jesus when I was 23. And when I was 24, I heard about tithing, and I've never missed, missed it since. And through some awful, tough times. I was in debt in college at first, kept doing it. Um, our family was, I mean, we went to Bible college working part-time jobs, going to school, not wanting to get in more debt. Uh, kept doing it. Driving junk cars, rusting apart. You know, if you knew us when we came here, you know that. Uh, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We quote that, we quote that, we quote that. We love to quote that. You know, when he said that, he was talking about finances. He said, I've learned to live with very little. I've learned to learn, live with a lot. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've learned to do it both ways. We rented homes till we were well into our 40s. Our kids paid their way through college. I just, the Lord just put it in my heart that this tithing thing in the Bible was, if I, if I give him my first 10%, he'll take care of me. I'll use the other 90 and, I'll get, and he'll help me get by. I didn't take my wife to Australia this summer because we had so much money we don't know what to do with it. I, I didn't take her to Australia this summer because the church pays us so much that we're just, we're just high on the hog. The church takes care of us, thank God. But there was a book the Lord put on my heart to write years ago, and the royalties from that book paid for our trip to Australia. That's how we afforded it. The, I want... <laughs> um, the reason we're not driving rust buckets now is because we went down to one car a few years ago 
and we're just we're making it work. And I want to talk to everyone here, everyone. If you're old, young, under 40, under 30, under 20, look around you. Who paid for this stuff? If you're, if you're in the younger half of the American population, who paid for that incredible uh, keyboard that Lori plays or the monitors we have or those neat little projectors up there or the computers back there that run it? Who paid for that soundboard stuff? Who paid for uh, this, this building, this facility? Who pays for the coffee back there, the coffee that goes into the machines? Who paid for the machines? Who paid all of that stuff that we love? Listen, if this stuff wasn't, who paid for those nice cushy chairs you're sitting in right now? I'm telling you, if you're under 30 or 40, if, if somebody hadn't paid for all that stuff, you wouldn't be here. Because you'd say, that's a boring old place. If we had, a, if we had wood, wood uh, pews and an organ from 1920 playing old hymns, you'd say, oh, there's just 20 old goats there. Uh, they're just barely keeping the doors open, barely paying the bill, and you wouldn't go. But with all this stuff, you're like, hey, this is exciting. I'll be there. Who paid for all that? People paid for it who gave tithes of their income to the Lord. And the renovation was people giving above that. And many of those people are moving towards retirement. Who's going to do this for your kids? If you're in the lower half of the population, who's going to do this for your kids? Do you want your kids? To grow up and say, oh, there's 20 old geezers sitting there. Listen, that's what's happening to other churches. Somebody's got to say, we're going to do this. We're going to make it happen for the next generation. Somebody's got to say, we're going to do this for the next generation. There are generations that worked their butts off to make this stuff happen. And I say, but since you're, man, I'm getting bad today. <laughs> Two words in one day. Here's the when-then lie. I like to call this the when-then lie. Lori, if you'd come on up. Here's the lie. I call it the when-then lie. When I get out of college, then I'll tithe. When I get out of debt from college, then I'll tithe. No, you're, you're, not, you're lying to yourself. When we save up for our house, then we'll give. No, you won't. When we get the kids through college, then we'll give. Not going to happen. When I figure out how I'm going to live in retirement, then I'll give. Well, now you've succeeded in lying all the way through your whole life. It's a lie from hell that wants to keep the church from pressing forward and breaking down the gates of hell. Listen, we need one another. We need to pull together like never before. Not in defense. Yes, in defense, but mostly in offense. But we need to pull together and sink our roots deep. Sink our roots deep. If we want to go higher, we got to get deeper to God. Let's stand. Psalm 92, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Those who are planted in the house 
shall flourish in the courts of God. They shall still bear fruit in old age, spoken by a 61-year-old. They shall be fresh. Yes, I like that. They shall be fresh and flourishing. I planned to be fresh till the day I die. This isn't about rules. It's not, you know, about being involved in the church, getting connected in groups, getting involved in relationships and tithing. It's not about rules. It's about trusting the one we say we love. It's about trusting him to step out of our comfort zone and meet somebody we didn't know, get interested in him, help one another, work together, get in the van together and go to New York City together, get on the plane and go to Tanzania together, pray for one another, pray for one another's family. It's about, it's about trusting him with our treasure because, hey, I'm telling you, it's as, it's as Bible as any basic doctrine of, that, that's in the Word of God. We can't say we trust him if we don't trust him with this. And I'm not a manipulator. I don't. I love you. I'm not beating anybody up today. My love for you is unconditional. God's love for you is unconditional. But it's a test. Do you trust me? He says. Do you trust me with your, with your relationships, with your connections, with your treasure, with your time? Do you trust me to put me first in every area? That's what it's about. It'll cost you to plant deeply in the house of God. It'll cost you, but it's so worth it. It's been the richest thing in my life. We have, we have established rhythms in our life. We established them when we were first married before we ever thought about coming to New York to Bible school. Or, I mean, we, we established rhythms of, of giving and church participation and relationships that I'm telling you, we're rich now. We're, we're just, our life is rich. I'm not even talking about money. I'm just talking about our life is rich. We feel fresh. We feel like we're flourishing in the house of God. But it's the rhythms of commitment that just says, this is what we do. We just do these things. We don't think, we don't pray about giving every week. When we were in Australia, we still tithe back here. And then we gave to the churches we were going to there just because we thought, wow, this is a cool place. It's just, it's just what we do. We just do it. Have people for dinner? Bet. Yeah. My wife's a good cook. She's learned on all of you, practicing on you guys. I've been the beneficiary. I want to pray for you today. Altar ministry teams, if you'd come up and be prepared, and if there's any way you want someone specifically to pray for you about a particular need, you, you come up and let one of these teams pray for you. But I want to pray for you right now about this area, and I just want you to open your heart to God. This isn't a, it's not about opening it. To, to me, this is not a personal thing. This is you. I said last week, I don't have anything to prove anymore. I don't have anything to prove. I just want what's best for you and for us as a church. Father, help us. In fact, if you're, if you're, if you're near someone, go ahead and lock elbows with them. Go ahead, just as, a, as, a, as an expression that I'm pulling together with you. Lock, if you need to cross the aisle to get to somebody, lock elbows with them right now. Lord, help us get tangled together like hibiscus plants 
in the tropics and like, like sequoia trees in California in the West. Lord, help us get locked together and tangled together, not just with family, not just with our best friends. Help us to get locked together with the people of God, in the house of God. Help us get tangled up together. Help us to get our roots tangled up together that, Lord, we can fulfill your purpose, your destiny. There you go. Lock together. Lock together. Oh, those people are scary, aren't they? Oh, man. Those people are so scary next to you. Help us, Lord, to trust you, to let people into our lives and to, to reach out into theirs. Help us, Lord, to pitch in and do the work of the ministry in this orchard, if you will, this orchard of trees and plants all around us. Help us to, to do the work and help us to trust you to carry this church to the next and through the next generation through our giving and where we put our treasures. Help us, Lord, to trust you in every one of these areas, Lord. And if you're committing yourself to the Lord in these things, just give us a loud shout of amen. Amen? Amen. We love you, Lord. We trust you. Hallelujah. There, is, um, there are refreshments in the lobby. You can stay in fellowship as long as you like if you want prayer. Um, these two teams will be available to pray about whatever it is, a physical need.